Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back once again, my good friends. Thank you once again for your time today. Since the dawn of settlements in this country, there has been one constant. It was known as Esquabaw by the Scotch-Irish, who brought with them the recipe for making what became known as moonshine. Once here in America, they then perfected the recipe to use corn, which grew in this country like there was no tomorrow. There's nowhere in the Appalachian Mountains that one can go without hearing tales of who makes the best moonshine. Yes, folks, they still make it to this day. At one time prior to the World War II, the primary revenue for the U.S. government was the whiskey tax. There are legendary names like Popcorn Sutton, the Bondurant Boys, and Mr. Percy Flowers, just to name a few legends. The biggest danger wasn't however making the moonshine, it was delivering it. There were many ways to pull this off from hiding in a, in a secret compartment in trucks or maybe buggies to loading it in a car that was built to the hilt for nothing but speed and just plain out running the feds. As you likely already know, NASCAR racing came from the bootleggers who would get together on Sundays and race their cars in an old dirt track to see who could take home the pot 
Now, the pot consisted of the money each driver would throw into it to put it up so they could believe that their race car would win. If indeed one chose to deliver their shine in the latter method, well, that likely meant that they could produce a very fast car and had a highly talented driver behind the wheel. Of course, this method didn't come without tragedy. Come on in and rest for a bit, and please let me tell you about the one of these cases. The still unidentified legend of the Appalachian Mountains. The story of the Whippoorwill of Thunder Road. Now let me tell the story, I can tell it all, about the Whippoorwill who ran illegal alcohol. That's the opening line of the original song called Thunder Road by Tex Williams. Of course, the lyrics were slightly changed after the movie called Thunder Road was released in 1958. Thunder Road, starring legendary actor Robert Mitchum, who also wrote the movie, told a tale of bootleggers who tangled with the law with one horrifically losing his life in the process while running the white lightning. While Mr. Mitchum fictionalized his character's own backstory, Thunder Road was actually a well-known moonshine route that ran from Kentucky through Maynardsville and then into Knoxville on what is now called the Kingston Pike. Mr. Mitchum also incorporated a legendary car crash that actually occurred along the route. People began to call the route Thunder Road because everybody always knew when there was a bootlegger being chased on it because once the driver stomped down on the throttle of a finely tuned machine he was driving, it would rattle the windows in the nearby houses just like thunder. Anybody who has ever been to a NASCAR race at the famous Bristol Motor Raceway knows exactly what I'm talking about. What They don't call it Thunder Valley for nothing. As we've been over in the previous episode, moonshiners and bootleggers are two different folks entirely. The moonshiner is the one who makes the moonshine and sells it to the bootlegger who gets it where it needs to go one way or another. But most of the time it was aboard a fast, highly tuned, and for lack of a better term, flat out race car. Now the Thunder Road route was so well known by the locals in the area and wouldn't you know that it wasn't long before the feds got wind of it and set up a task force to monitor the route for bootleggers who were running their shine up and down it. And as fate would have it, they called the task force Operation Thunder Road. During their operation, the feds became aware of one driver who was so good at evading them that Nobody even knew who he was. The only thing they knew was that everybody referred to him as Tweedle O'Twill. Well, they thought that this was most certainly his nickname, but who the heck was he? Nobody seemed to know. The feds thought that his nickname sounded like the call of a whippoorwill, so they began referring to him as the whippoorwill. The feds tried in vain to run down the elusive whippoorwill, but his car was so fast and he was such a smooth and fearless driver that he repeatedly just left them all eating his dust. It was the whippoorwill, Tweedle Twill, who was supposedly involved in the legendary crash on the Thunder Road. While newspaper accounts of the actual incident are very hard, if not even impossible to find, Several members of the community uh, even stepped forward and went on record with accounts of what they actually saw. 
John Fitzgerald was one of them, and he was among a group of friends who actually saw it happen. John recalled encountering the feds at a local service station early one morning in the 1950s, overhearing whispers of Thunder Road and Whippoorwill, and John and his friends had apparently stumbled into some kind of a federal operation to which he didn't even know the extent. Just down the road from Galen's gas station, the Whippoorwill, son of a mountain moonshiner, was racing against time. As the sun peeked through the trees, John saw the elusive Whippoorwill tear down the highway, trying to finish the last leg of his journey down Route 33 from Kentucky through Maynardsville and into Bearden. As we said earlier, John only knew this to be the Whippoorwill because he overheard the feds talking about it, and they eventually put it all together. The feds had devised a makeshift roadblock. Two cars pulled nose-to-nose across the two-lane highway. They parked their whole fleet of vehicles in the driveway of a farm along the route and just waited and watched. But as the whippoorwill tore down the road toward them at every bit of 90 miles an hour, said John, it became apparent to the feds that he had absolutely no intention of stopping. All of them who were standing around their cars in their nice seersucker suits expecting him to stop, dove for the ditches. The whippoorwill flew off the side of the road, running through fences and over mailboxes and bushes, and right around the roadblock, barreling past the edges without so much as lifting his foot off the gas. After getting by the roadblock, he picked up even more speed and ran faster down Thunder Road, but there was a second roadblock that he didn't know about. A row of cars pulled bumper to bumper was aligned in the intersection of Morrell Road and Kingston Pike. After being run off from the gas station for being nosy, John and his friends watched from a nearby farm located in the present-day site of Westtown Mall. The whippoorwill came barreling down the bend of what is now called Dead Man's Curve. It was a tight curve with an off-camber lay to it. Usually this is done to improve drainage on the road and to prevent it from holding water and creating a hydroplane situation. For some reason, though, the curve was banked to the outside, as they say, and not to the inside, as usual. That was where the whippoorwill lost control, sending the car at full speed directly into a dirt bank. He never let let his foot off the gas. The high-speed collision whipped up a cloud of red clay dust visible all the way back to the first roadblock. As the federal agents raced to the scene, John and his friends pedaled down Thunder Road to catch a glimpse of the accident that would become legendary. John said it as the car hit the bank and launched it through the fence of a roadside utility station. Its trunk sprung open, shattered glass jars of whiskey, and had leaked all over the electrical equipment. And John watched as the substation burst into flames. He said the smell of burning whiskey got so strong that it made his eyes burn. The road embankment looked like a bulldozer blade had cut into it. He hit straight on with such an impact that it buckled the frame of his car and sent it flying through the substation. Now that's saying something for a car from the 1950s to have the frame buckled, don't you think? I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. Now John said he remembered looking at the driver who laid on the pavement, battered, blooded, and in a fetal position after being thrown from the car and thinking, what a waste. He gave his life for a trunk full of moonshine. 
John kept an eye out for the news on the accident, but never saw a reference to the car wreck event in any newspapers, and nobody ever knew the whippoorwill actually was. John was a farmer who went to his grave swearing to what he and his friends had witnessed with their own eyes, that a car swerved off Kingston Pike and into a Lenore City Utilities Board switching station, though he nor his friends who were ever had a shred of proof to back it up, they stuck by their story. It was almost like there was some kind of cover-up going on and nobody to this day knows. That's all it took for people to start coming out of the woodwork to try to find out just what happened on Thunder Road and just who this whippoorwill Tweedle twill was. And just how did it all tie into Robert Mitchum's movie? Eddie Harvey, a former nice car driver, bootlegger and car mechanic and owner of Eddie's Body Shop in North Knoxville, told of the tragic ending of a man named Rufus Gunner, who he thought might be the man known as Whippoorwill. Only his story is quite a bit different than the one shared by John Fitzpatrick and his boys. Eddie said that Ruf, as he was known, was coming from Newport to Knoxville and found out that somebody had ratted on him. When Ruth realized that, he got an old car, an old Studebaker, and loaded it down with, with his moonshine. He thought the police or law or feds or anybody else wouldn't know who he was in that car. But as Ruth got close to Knoxville, just outside the city limits at Swan Bridge on the infamous Thunder Road, the police started telling him. Ruth made a run for it but he lost control of his car, struck a tree stump, and the vehicle flew up in the air, landing in the Holston River, along with 20 cases of fine moonshine whiskey. Eddie continued on, saying that the law never even stopped. Now, I have to add here that there's a good chance that they thought that he'd took off and lost them. Maybe they thought that he was just ahead of them so far they couldn't see him. After all, I myself have been behind a car that wrecked at night and the you're not really looking for it it's easy to miss in the dark eddie added that he himself went up there and found old roof hanging in the limb of the river and he was drowned soon free lance writer kate clebo was investigating the true story of thunder road she wanted to find out who the whippoorwill was and how he related to the movie she checked newspaper microfilms police reports and funeral home records from the very beginning Grant Garrity, a long head, longtime head of the Knoxville office of the Bureau of Alcohol, of Tobacco, and Firearms, told her that he had always heard that the real subject of Mitchum's movie and the true whippoorwill was a man from Cock County, and that certainly was as logical as anything else, I assume, but since uh, everybody knew that Newport had pretty much been the capital of moonshine in that part of the country anyway. Following that lead, Miss Clayball sent a letter to the editor of the Newport Plain Talk to find out more information on the subject, asking that if anybody knew anything about it, please contact her. Now, within mere days, she received an unsigned letter written on two sides of line notebook paper in a neat handwriting that looked as if it were written by an elderly lady. After all, you can always tell when one of us geezers writes something, can't you? It had a Knoxville postmark, and it said, the facts, as told by me, to me by my mother, were that the whippoorwill from Thunder Road was from Mountain Rest in Upper Crosby. Make that Cosby, sorry. 
Pinkney Gunner was a maker of moonshine, while his Rufus was the bootlegger, his son. Then Miss Clayball got a call from Cook County Circuit Court Judge Ben Hooper, who affirmed that by who affirmed that very fact by saying that the whipper wheels a man called Rufus Gunner. Judge Hooper further confirmed that Miss Clayball, or to Miss Clayball, that he hadn't died like the character in the movie, but he certainly lived like him. Hooper said in uh, January 1953, Rufus Gunner was being chased on Thunder Road heading toward Knoxville when he got a, to the J. Will Taylor Bridge. It was ice cold and Rufus was red hot from driving that car wide open, he said. He jumped for it. When he hit the water, he got a cramp because of the shock of the cold after being so hot and just went under. It took him a week to find him, he said. Then there's Larry Bowers, staff writer and former editor of the Cleveland Banner, who wrote a column in which he challenged the long-standing legend of the alleged crash site. Saying my memories and information that I have received since about the perpetrated crash contradict the location of the actual crash if there was indeed a crash. There are a few folks who think that the story is fictional, but others who lived in West Knoxville and surrounding communities swear it's real. He also said I worked and spent considerable time in West Knoxville in the late 1980s and early 1990s. More than one person told me there was an actual crash. Now, I myself spent quite a bit of time researching this episode. From what I've found, there are several crashes of bootleg cars while being chased by law enforcement. Was Roof Gunner the Whippoorwill of Thunder Road? Now, I'm not sure that we can truly answer that question for certain, although it's a distinct possibility. It's also a possibility that Whippoorwill was a code name that the feds used for any suspected bootlegger on Thunder Road at the time. But if it's left up to each of us who we think the Whippoorwill Tweedle of Twill truly was, well, I guess we'll just have to consider it for ourselves. It seems that the more time passes in our history, the more the actual facts seem to get lost to time. And once they're lost, folks, they're likely gone for good. There's one more thing that local people say. They say that the crash was very real, but they say it wasn't on the J. Will Taylor Bridge. They say it happened at a power line substation at the intersection of what, what is known as Watt Road now and Kingston Pike, about two miles beyond the Willow Creek and Fox Den Golf Courses in Fergot, near where there used to be an old Galen's gas station. Now that makes it even more interesting to me, don't it you? Well, I hope you've enjoyed our story today. If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, please. Please go over to our Patreon page at patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, and give it a look. If you'd like to join, there's several levels to do so. Or you can go over to our Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend podcast, where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian murder, mystery, or legend. I'll see you then.